Hello everyone, this is Sakib. Uh, it's time to do another episode for Roland Garros. It's day two, uh, rain stop play, and now we have few matches remaining that will be scheduled for day three. And today we have a special guest. Uh, we have a super Rafa Nadal fan, Sanket Singh, will joining from Goa. Uh, also goes by Twitter handle of Shanky and Shankster. So if you've known him, so you know he's actually tweeting during majors and all year long. He's a big Nadal fan, but does follow a lot of tennis. Welcome, Sanket. Yeah, great to be here for the first time uh, on tennis for a change. Yeah, we've been doing some cricket podcasts on the side, but yeah, this is the first time you're making a debut. And uh, no better day than uh, your favorite uh, and 10 time champ, Nadal. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate that he didn't finish the match today, but then looks like he was down 3 0 in the third set. Did you catch any of it? Yeah, I think I catched most of the match. I think uh, I think Simon Simon Bololi. And he was he's peaking uh, with his forehand in the first couple of sets, and uh, Nadal obviously managed to recover in both the sets and managed to win the first couple of sets. And he's currently obviously trailing uh, Love three in the third. I mean, I think the break was obviously much needed for Rafa because I think the third set, I think if it had gone on slightly longer, it could have, uh, uh, I mean, uh, it could have been hard for Rafa to recover. So I think this uh, this is probably a much needed respite from what was um, a fairly unexpected kind of a storm uh, for him to weather because, I mean, Bolelli was not even his official opponent when the draw was released. He was supposed to play Alexander Dolgopolov and then he pulled out and Bolelli was a lucky loser, suddenly gets into the draw and then starts uh, hammering four hands left, right and centre. And, uh, I mean, this is the type of tennis that generally... Uh, and this, this is probably the only type of tennis that tends to trouble Rafa on clay, as we have seen with Dominic Thiem over the last couple of years. He's the only player uh, who's beaten Rafa on clay uh, over the last couple of years, and it is through this kind of heavy hitting. So, yeah, I mean... But, uh, let, me throw, uh, let me throw in the conditions, because uh, Nadal, you know, again, he's lost only two matches here, so he's, he's weathered all sort of conditions. But uh, the match people talk about where Redline tennis was played with Soderling in 2009, and he was absolutely hitting the cover of the tennis ball. And uh, today, conditions were kind of similar. It was damp, always, you know, it was overcast, and then we had rain. So that's the kind of condition where Bolili, I think, should have taken a set to his chance. But I think Nadal is so good at these conditions. And sometimes we, we underestimate... I mean, we never underestimate him, Clay, but, you know, sometimes we underestimate him in these kind of situations because that's the kind of template when someone has to play, you know, super aggressive tennis and the ball doesn't have to bounce that high. But I think Nadal did very well to win the second set. And uh, just to counter your point, I know 3-0 was the same scoreline in second set and now Nadal could have could have lost the third set. We don't know now. We'll only find out tomorrow how this match yeah. shapes up. But uh, yeah, I, think I, I don't think the rain them because Boleli is also playing scoreboard pressure. So it's uh, it's tough to say in hindsight what, have, what would have happened. But uh, Boleli is a very talented guy. I was talking to someone today on Twitter and he's known on the circuit as an absolute talent. And the only thing that's helped, uh, held him back is uh, consistency. So, uh, on that note, uh, uh, how do you see this match coming tomorrow now? You think Nadal will, you know, uh, res- resume control? Or you think there's still a set that's going to be contested with Boleli now have a, have a break in his hand? Well, I think... Uh... I do expect Rafa to, you know, regain control because I think he now has a time to, you know, take a breather and probably reassess his strategies and talk with, have a chat with his coach Carlos Moya and probably come up with a bit better game plan to, 
counter Bolelli's tactics tomorrow because I think I think what uh, he faced today I think was something that he probably didn't quite expect and he wasn't quite prepared for it. I expect him to come better prepared tomorrow and hopefully the conditions will be uh, more on the warmer side, which are probably more to his liking with uh, with the ball bounces a little bit higher. And I believe it's I, uh, it is the second match on Philip Chartria tomorrow after. Marin Cilic, uh, so yeah, I mean, let's see what the conditions are, but I do think Rafa will probably bounce back and win the third set. Probably not uh, 6-3, but I think probably maybe 7-5 or something like that. But uh, I hope that he does manage to get the job done in straight sets, because otherwise playing back to, um, uh, playing a long match tomorrow and then coming back uh, the very next day could be a slightly tricky proposition. So hopefully uh, it won't take too much longer tomorrow. Uh, talking about Nadal, uh, he definitely... Didn't need any favors, I think, and most people agree he's an overwhelming favorite. But the few people, a few players who could have challenged him are all stacked up in the bottom half. And uh, some of those guys were in action today, like uh, Wawrinka and uh, and Djokovic. Uh, did you get to see those matches? And uh, I know stands out. It was a painful five-set loss against uh, Garcia Lopez, who's already uh, defeated him at this very venue a few years ago. I know you had posed a question this morning on Twitter as well regarding that matchup. Uh, what are your uh, uh, takeaways from those two matches if you did watch them? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Wawrinka, I mean, I, I never really had him down as a threat for Rafa in this tournament. But obviously, yeah, Wawrinka being the big name that he is, I think mean, generally always uh, garners a lot of uh, interest among fans, especially given the type of, type of tennis that he plays. Well, I thought this was a matchup that could have gone either way. Uh, obviously, Guillermo Garcia Lopez has, is someone who has beaten beaten him at this very tournament, at this very stage in the past. So, obviously, I think uh, he, he knows what it takes to uh, beat Stan at Roland Garros. But obviously, this, these are different circumstances altogether. You've got Stan Wawrinka, who's uh, coming off uh, from a pretty lengthy injury layoff, trying to find his feet. Uh, and uh, even GGL hasn't been in the greatest of form of late, but so obviously this was a matchup between two guys who are probably still trying to find that feat. And Wawrinka, I personally, my opinion was that either Wawrinka would probably get blown away in straight sets because I mean he would he wouldn't be good enough to compete. But I think if he was good enough to win a couple of sets, then I personally thought that if it goes five, then I think Stan will use his experience in best of five matches, I think, um, and, and probably prevail because if he's good enough to win two sets, then he's good enough to win three. But uh, he, he lost from two sets to one down, which I think that is the most surprising bit of the match for me because, I mean, obviously his fitness isn't quite uh, there. Yet, I think mean, I think I thought he was personally way too slow today uh, on some of the balls, and uh, so yeah, I think his fitness obviously is a, is a is a major cause of concern right now. I think his ball striking was pretty good. I think he's hitting the ball really well. So I think it's a question of you know him being able to trust his knee once again and being able to run at full capacity and probably uh, be fit enough to play. Yeah, I think you just said it. I think his. His fitness definitely is a question mark, and I think uh, we even spoke uh, briefly today. And uh, the longer the match went, I think that's where you know the grip fell out of uh, Wawrinka's side because uh, Garcia Lopez definitely has had more matches, even though he had his own struggles last year. I think he was tr- playing on the Challenger Tour and did not win a lot of matches. And that's the beauty of tennis. I mean, you know these guys, and if you and of course most fans don't pay attention unless you're a Garcia Lopez fan that what's going on in, in his career. And then I, I believe he recorded like a big win, his first big win in, in, in a while against Karina Bosta in the, in the Latin American uh, clay swing earlier this year. And that's when I realized I had to 
go to the ATP stat sheet and see what he was doing. He was playing the challenger level and he wasn't on the tour. So that was his turnaround time. And now, guess what? You know, he's back in the mix here. Wins on the biggest of stages. And he probably knows uh, Wawrinka wasn't 100%, but, you know, uh, not his fault and, and he'll take it. And uh, then let's move our focus to Novak Djokovic. Uh, a lot has been spoken about him. He's still not clearly the player what he was, he's, but he's slowly making inroads. He's looking good since uh, losing to Klizan in Barcelona. He's had two decent tournaments leading up to here. And today, I think, like Matt Zemek said, the best exercise for Djokovic was not to waste any time. He got it done convincingly. If you didn't watch the match, it seemed like a routine match. And maybe you can walk us through that match, what you saw in Novak and uh, how is he shaping up? Uh, can he be a threat in this tournament? I think he's definitely going to be a threat in this tournament. Whether he's good enough to win it or not, I think that's a different question altogether. Uh, but I think ever since the start of the clay season, his level has gradually improved with each and every tournament. I think even in the matches that he lost to Klizan and I think the one match that he lost to Dominic team as well, uh, I think his level has been improving all the time. And uh, yeah, I think he played really well in Rome. Obviously, I think almost took a set of Rafa Nadal. Um, uh, there and obviously today I think his level was slightly up and down uh, I thought even though the score line was uh, seems to be pretty straightforward I think he had a bit of a hiccup when he was serving for the second set and uh, yeah I think it was an up and down performance of sorts probably not as quite as straightforward as the score line might suggest but in the end uh, he did get the job done in straight sets he didn't waste an awful lot of time at the, um, on the field so obviously I think uh, Things are looking up for Djokovic compared to, say, what they were even a month back. So, yeah, I think uh, he's got a good draw. And uh, I think he should be able to make it to the quarterfinals at least. And uh, then we can take it from there. But, yeah, good start for Djokovic. Do you, do you see a like of uh, Batista Agut uh, if they both win one more match? That's the third round match that could potentially happen on Friday. Do you think uh, the Spaniard can trouble him here? I know he, you know he had a personal tragedy. His mom passed away. I think just leading up to Roland Garros. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I just uh, came to know of it only today, and I think I was quite shocked that I know he had the mental fortitude to be able to fight it out. Uh, I mean, so soon after uh, after a really tragic loss in his personal life, and coming back from two sets to one down against Dennis Estamin, who's who's the kind of player who, when he peaks, it could be very difficult to beat, as Novak Djokovic himself found out at the Australian Open last year. Um, and um, obviously, coming back to win that match, I think that, that must have given him a huge uh, boost of confidence. And RBA is, is a guy who has troubled Djokovic in the past. I think uh, he took. I think he was the only player who took a set of Djokovic uh, before the final in, in the 2016 French Open, uh, when, he, when he won that title to... Um, uh, complete the career Grand Slam. So he he is a player who has troubled him in the past. I think he also took a set of him in the 2015 US Open, which was another which was another one of Djokovic's dominant runs. And he also beat him uh, in Shanghai later in 2016. So he's had his fair share of success against Djokovic. Uh, he is he's obviously being a Spaniard. He knows how to play on clay. But yeah, I think overall, I think if you look at his RBS career, he has underperformed at Grand Slam level. He has never reached a major quarterfinal. Uh, so, yeah, I think you'd have to fancy Djokovic's chances uh, 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 should they meet uh, in the third round. But I guess he could probably take a set off him like he did uh, in 2016. Okay. And there were some other matches too. I don't know how much action did you catch today, but there, there were a lot of matches in the men's size uh, that were 
going on, like uh, Francis Tiafo, uh, who was billed uh, as, you know, a hope on clay because he had a good run in Maestrill, came up short again. Yeah, yeah, he won. Yeah, against Sam I'd actually pick Tiafo to win this match because of his form in clay. Uh, he won in Maestrill, obviously, as he said, and Sam Query hasn't been in particularly great form this year. But yeah, Sam Query really turned it up today, won in straight sets, which I think was quite a surprising result in my opinion. Not not the result, but I think the manner in which he won, I think that was a little bit of a surprise. So, yeah. Sam Curry is... Yeah, it, it was one-sided. It was one-sided. Sam Curry... Yeah. And Sam Curry is, I think, one of my favorite players to watch when he's on songs. So if he can ha- if he can really start picking this tournament, I think he could, he could be an interesting player to watch going forward. Yeah, I think, uh, Sakeb, I know you're a big fan of uh, Ernest Gulbis and he's making his comeback. I mean, he's I know he's spent a lot of time on the Challenger store over the last couple of years. He, 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 I think he played at Wimbledon last year, losing to Novak Djokovic, and he's, now he's here on clay, his favorite surface, where he's reached a semi-final four years ago, and he's playing against uh, the grass court specialist, J.L. Muller, uh, the big servant warrior. Uh, from uh, Luxembourg. So, what did you make of his match today? One in four sets, and do you think he can be a, a threat going forward in the tournament? Uh, I think it's it's a very tricky situation, uh, especially you know when uh, you are not in sight, uh, especially in a sport like tennis, you are not in mind, you're you're out of thoughts because you know as fans we only get to see what's on TV. And I've managed to get a glimpse of Gulbis, you know, playing some challenger tournaments through YouTube or the ATP Challenger channel, but I've only caught barely, you know not enough of it. And his road has been, it's been no secret. I mean, since reaching the semis here four years ago, he's had his share of injuries. He's changed his forehand, reconstructed it, gone through coaches. So he's been not in really, not in much news except a couple of appearances. You know, one was at Roland Garros when he made the fourth round and then last year at Wimbledon out of nowhere, he beat Del Potro. So he's, a, he's, he's, he's one of those guys who really excludes a lot of confidence and when he's winning matches, he can be a very tricky player. That being said, this is first tour win since uh, beating Janessi uh, in the first round of US Open last year. Uh, and he's won, I think, now seven matches. Three in Bordeaux, a challenger, three in the qualifying, and then one main draw match. So, yeah, this is as much massive, as many matches as he's ever won like in, in, in a long, long time. So, against uh, Italian Berrettini in the next round. It's a 50-50 match. If Gulbis serve is on, he can definitely uh, keep the date with Dominic Thiem, who himself has a tough match against uh, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. So that's uh, those are two matches I'll be keeping a close eye on when you know the schedule comes out. And uh, talking about Gulbis again, uh, he's very unpredictable. He's someone you know who really backs himself, and he's, he's said some things that we all know. Like in 2014, he said he has the best backhand in the world. I mean, it's always was one of the best strokes, but it was never clearly the best backhand. But I think in a sport like tennis, when you are so alone, you flank solo, uh, you need that kind of swagger, you need that kind of self belief. And I always like Gulbis' self belief compared to the niceness of Dimitrov and Nishikori, who might be superior talents and they might have achieved more. But I always like Gulbis in a lot of ways, like I like Kyrgios. You give me Gulbis on a, on a packed center court against Federer, Nadal or Djokovic, and if he's healthy, he's not going to be shying away from the challenge. He's going to lay it all out there. And sometimes you don't feel you get, get that from a lot of other top men. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad he's healthy and he's playing well and he's always good for some press interviews. But he knows his time is running out. The guy is going to be 30 in August. So, let's see. I mean, match by match, if he can get through Berrettini, it could be the Gunther Bresnik ball between... Uh, and if team team comes through, uh, you know, old friends 
you know, they train together. So that's going to be an interesting match. In the past, they have played some very ugly matches because they were never used to playing against each other. But I think now, reportedly, there's enough distance. I mean, they're not as close as they used to be. So it should be a good match if that does, play, uh, does take place on Friday. But no predictions. Yeah, and speak, yes, and speaking of Dominic thing, I think he made a very uh, un, uncharacteristic, so, 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 uh, un, a rather unusual decision, probably not uncharacteristic of him, given his past history. Uh, but I think you know, quite an unusual decision to play the week before the Grand Slam for a top player. And uh, he did indeed win the title in Lyon, beating Jel Simon in the final. I didn't seem to show any after effects of it today in his match. So, I mean, he now set up a, a rematch with Stefano Tsitsipas. I think their fourth match for the year. Hmm. And interestingly, Dominic Thiem has won both the matches on hard courts, whereas Tsitsipas has won their match on clay in Barcelona. So, how do you see that matchup shaping up? I think uh, after Nadal, if anybody who's excelled on this court, and of course, I'm not talking about Novak Djokovic because, you know, he's going through some sort of a slump and he's a world-class player. But as far as Philippe Chatrier goes, I think Team has the legs and he has, you know, the aggressive, heavy-hitting game and he can also play solid defense. I think he's he's the guy who's going to be very tough to beat, and including Sasha Zverev. I know Zverev beat him in Madrid and this is kind of a, you know, a conversation maybe that should place, uh, take place next week. But I, I think if Team is uh, what he against Ivashka and how he won the title in Lyon, I think he should have uh, pass this time. That's that's what I think. And there's nothing to take away from pass who himself is, you know, uh, creating a lot of first times from him because, you know, he's just the first Greek to win a match and almost, uh, you know, in, in a lot of venues, first Greek to be in top 100 and a lot of talent there. And, you know, he's been on the podcast. I'm a big fan of his him too. But uh, talking about team, I just want to say I agree with you that uh, it's not ideal preparation to play the week before a major. But, you know, we, we only say that because when we look at Roger, Rafa and Novak and Andy and those guys, Team is a guy, I think, who is in the Thomas Muster mold. He loves to play tennis. His coach has said ridiculous things that if you're not fit to play 90 matches in a year, you, should, you are not a player who should be in the top rankings. And secondly, this time is slightly different because he didn't have a good play court season after reaching the final in Madrid. He had off yeah, didn't have quite as good. So maybe he, he feels better when he has more matches under his belt. Lot, and even Nadal is like that. But Nadal's thing is Nadal wins a lot and then he plans a little better before the majors. But Nadal also feels like if he has a 6-1, 6-2, 6-1 win, Nadal's not known to go to practice. So some of these guys, I think they have their patterns. I think team definitely doesn't plan wisely. But maybe I think we, we should all also look uh, at this, that this scheduling is maybe who he is. We want him to be a top player and we always compare him to the other guys. Maybe that's not his cup of tea. I think he feels better when he's had like, you know, 15 sets in his bag and he's coming undefeated at a major. I think maybe he likes his chances then. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and the other thing, the, I think probably the most interesting match of the day, uh, I know these are not big names, but personally I thought this was the most interesting match of the day. Uh, Borna Chorich, uh, who uh, the semi-finalist in Indian Wells, so gave Roger Federer a real run for his money. And uh, is, is known to play on play uh, up against Philip Kohlschreiber, uh, the twenty, the, I think the number twenty-two seed. And uh, I think it, I think it was one of the rare matches where you had the unseeded player who was probably the favorite uh, against the seeded player. And George did indeed uh, come out triumphant in four sets. So, what did you make of that match, and how do you see George's prospects going forward in the tournament? This was a match, like, it was one of those matches when this uh, draw comes out and everybody wants to say, okay, this is one of the first, uh, best first-round matchups. 
And when I was even doing the racket bracket, you know, uh, picking it, this is this is one of the toughest matches. I had to change the pick a few times, but then I backed my faith in Chorich, what I saw in Indian Wells, and I got a chance briefly to speak with him in Miami. I think under the watchful eyes of Ricardo Piatti, I think they're reconstructing his game to his strengths because for a while he did seem lost in the next-gen conversation with the flashiness of Zverev, Shapovalov, and some of the American guys, and, and even, you know, now a guy like Tsitsipas. Sometimes you forget that, you know, that the way the tour is, solidity is rewarded. And if Chorich can, you know, improve and put some more muscle and get some free points. I'm not saying, you know, Djokovic is a long, long way to go, but Chorich can start winning some points purely on physicality and he, you know, he doesn't make too many errors. That being said, I was very surprised to have him have a mediocre clay court season because after Indian Wells, I thought this is where he might stamp his authority. But I think now he's kind of... Uh, He's coming in more relaxed, and I think this match will serve him well because this was the toughest test you could get in the opening round of a major. And uh, I won't be surprised if Chorich goes deep, like, say, to a quarterfinal in this tournament. Yeah, and I think any other matchups today that you would like to talk about? I think, of course, uh, we can uh, conclude this podcast by the, the you know the dream dream matchup. You know, the lucky loser Marco uh, Trunjoletti of Argentina, who took this amazing you know uh, car ride from Barcelona. Cross, drove through southern France and then landed up, I think, what, six, seven hours before uh, the match in Catrier. Uh, so him playing Tomic, that was like what tennis dreams are made of. And uh, I've seen the guy play in 2016 when I was at the Roland Garros. He lost in straight sets to Ramos Manolas. Uh, and he's he's a, you know, hardcore play court player who's really, you know, making his living by, uh, you know, producing these excellent results on the challenger circuit. Uh I remember seeing his picture on Twitter a few weeks ago in, in an Italian challenger called, I think, Barletta. Uh, he won the event today. I just went and see who he beat, and I didn't realize he had won eight matches that week. He won three matches in the qualifying, and then he won five main draw matches. So there you go. I mean, this is as good a story, and, you know, he lost first round of qualifiers, and then Prajnesh Kuneswaran had already gone to Italy, so they tracked him down, and now he comes back and beats Bernie Tomic and can play Cecinato for the biggest payday of his life. If he wins, he's in the third round of a major. So that was special. Some interesting comments from Bernard Tomic as well after the match. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's never a dull moment, you know, like Bernie Tomic. But it's, it's good to see. I think, uh, it, before we conclude this, Tomic and uh, Jills Mueller can, can be really happy about, you know, uh, what's coming next for different reasons. Mueller, because, you know, that's his favorite surface. He had a dismal play court season. And he can, again, be one of the, I think, top 15, top 16 cross-court players. And Bernie Tomic, if uh, this is something to go by, he's definitely back, in, in the, at least in the mood of winning and competing. And Clay is his least favorite surface. So if he can use this as a measure, he can be a force in the Wimbledon qualities and if he gets some wild cards or some looks in the cross-court tournaments. David Ferrer uh, so, losing, losing from uh, two sets up against uh, countryman Munar. Uh, I mean, I think, is it the end of the road for Spaniard? I think. Not, a lot of people are saying that, but it, it could be, it could not be. I didn't see the match. I just followed the scoreboard. And uh, Ferrer was two sets to up, uh, two sets up, and then Munar came back, and then I guess Ferrer served for it a few times. So, yeah, that's uh, the, when you start losing these matches, I think uh, it's probably hard to recover. He's, he's a new father. Uh, I don't know. I mean, has he said anything? Because a lot of people are insinuating like this is the end of the road. It has seemed like another road last year, but then he switched to a new racket and started well. So you never know. He made yeah he made a comeback in the hard court season. So yeah, we'll probably have to wait a few more months to see whether he can make a comeback. So yeah, 
Hi, Sankit. I think we covered a lot of ground. Uh, thanks for doing this on such a short notice. It was a pleasure talking with you. And before you go, just want to get something out there. Uh, is your name Twitter handle Shankster? Is it inspired by Federer when he was shanking those balls? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought there was always like some pun in there, but no, okay. <laughs>